Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of cardiac tamponade found under the cardiovascular section at MedBullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 45-year-old woman presents to the emergency room for chest discomfort and shortness of breath for the past few hours. She has a past medical history of systemic lupus erythematosus. Physical exam reveals hypotension, muffled heart sounds, distended jugular veins, and positive pulses paradoxus. An electrocardiogram reveals low voltages and electrical alternans. Imaging shows an enlarged cardiac silhouette on radiography. A team is consulted for an emergent pericardiosynthesis. Let's continue with a brief introduction to cardiac tamponade. Clinically, it is defined as accumulation of fluid in the pericardial sac that restricts ventricular filling. In terms of epidemiology, remember that risk factors include pericarditis, malignancy, uremia, systemic lupus erythematosus, tuberculosis, or penetrating trauma. With regards to the etiology, it could be due to pericardial effusion, hemorrhage into the pericardial sac, or iatrogenic. Let's also discuss the pathoanatomy. Remember that the pericardium is an elastic sac that can stretch to accommodate normal cardiac volume expansion. However, if it is stretched beyond normal physiologic expansion, the pericardium will stiffen. With regards to the pathogenesis, cardiac tamponade is caused by increased pericardial pressure from the fluid accumulation, which causes compression of the cardiac chambers. This results in decreased cardiac output and blood pressure. In order to understand the finding of pulses paradoxus, remember that normally inhalation increases venous return, which expands the right ventricle. However, in cardiac tamponade, the stiff pericardium will prevent the free wall from expanding. So the only area for the right ventricle to expand to is the interventricular septum, which will compress the left ventricle. Then compression of the left ventricle will lead to decreased filling of the left heart, which will lead to decreased blood pressure. Conditions associated with cardiac tamponade include ruptured ascending aortic dissection and ventricular free wall rupture from myocardial infarction. In terms of the prognosis, in acute cases, cardiac tamponade can develop rapidly. In chronic cases, cardiac tamponade will develop gradually, as the pericardium can adjust slowly to the increased pressure over time. Moving on to the presentation, remember that symptoms include chest pain, fatigability, and patients are often unresponsive to fluid resuscitation. On physical exam, one may see Beck's triad, which is muffled heart sounds, jugular venous distension, and hypotension. Cardiac findings may include increased heart rate, and a pericardial rub may be present, if the patient has an inflammatory pericarditis. One may also note pulses paradoxus, which is a decrease in blood pressure of greater than 10 millimeters of mercury during inhalation. Pulmonary findings may include shortness of breath, but the lung fields are typically clear. And on extremities, one may note cold and clammy hands and peripheral cyanosis. In terms of imaging, echocardiography is indicated for diagnosis of cardiac tamponade for all patients, as it is the most accurate test. Specific findings may include diastolic collapse of the right heart, fluid in the pericardial space, and swinging of the heart with the effusion. Radiography is also indicated for all patients. One should get a view of the chest, and specific findings may include an enlarged cardiac silhouette, which is seen only in subacute cardiac tamponade. In acute cases, the pericardium will not accommodate buildup of more than 200 cc's of fluid, which is required to appear enlarged on radiography. Other studies that may be performed include electrocardiogram, which is indicated for all patients. Specific findings may include low voltage or electrical alternans, 
which is variations in the height of the QRS complex, which is due to swinging of the heart within the chest. One may also perform right heart catheterization, although this is typically not performed as an initial test. One may find equilibration of pressures in all four chambers during diastole. And remember that when making the diagnosis, it is based on clinical presentation, ECG, echocardiogram, and chest radiography. In terms of the differential, make sure to think about constrictive pericarditis, with distinguishing factors being that it also presents with pulsus paradoxus, but also presents with Kussmaul sign, which is an increased or absence of decline in jugular venous pressure with inhalation and a pericardial knock. Also think about tension pneumothorax, with distinguishing factors being that it demonstrates decreased or absent breath sounds and hyperresonant percussion. Also think about pericardial effusion, which will present similar to cardiac tamponade, but will demonstrate stable vitals. With regards to treatment, remember that all management approaches should focus on removal of the fluid in the pericardium. Conservative treatment options include close monitoring and volume expansion, which is indicated in cardiac tamponade without hemodynamic compromise. Here, one may perform serial echocardiograms and give intravenous bolus of fluids. Procedural options include percutaneous pericardiosynthesis, which is indicated as first-line treatment. Operative options include surgical drainage, which is indicated in patients with coagulopathy or a need for biopsy, as well as patients with purulent pericarditis or traumatic cardiac tamponade. Another option would be surgical drainage with pericardio window placement. This is indicated in patients with chronic pericardial effusions or patients who decompensate. And remember that the most important complication related to cardiac tamponade is death. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to cardiac tamponade, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 72-year-old man presents to the emergency department with shortness of breath. The patient has active lung cancer and is declining treatment. He states his shortness of breath has been gradually worsening over the past month. He denies chest pain, fevers, chills, or recent travel. His temperature is 97.7 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.5 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 125 over 82. Pulse is 89 beats per minute. Respirations are 12 breaths per minute. And oxygen saturation is 95% on room air. Physical exam reveals bibasilar crackles on lung auscultation. His lower extremities demonstrate pitting edema that extends to the ankle. A chest radiograph is performed and demonstrates an enlarged cardiac silhouette. Which of the following is the most likely diagnosis? And the answer choices are Choice 1. Cardiac tamponade Choice 2. Heart failure exacerbation Choice 3. Pericardial effusion Choice 4. Pneumonia Or Choice 5. Pulmonary embolism The best answer to this question is Choice 3. Pericardial effusion. The patient is presenting with gradually worsening dyspnea over the past month and has an enlarged, water bottle-shaped heart on chest radiograph. Given his stable vitals and known lung cancer, a pericardial effusion, likely a malignant effusion from lung cancer, is the most likely diagnosis in this patient. A pericardial effusion can accumulate secondary to multiple causes, including trauma, infection, inflammation, and malignancy. Differentiating cardiac tamponade from an effusion is dire, as tamponade requires emergent stabilization. Patients with a simple pericardial effusion 
will present with muffled heart sounds and could have electrical alternance on ECG. A chest radiograph may demonstrate an enlarged and water bottle or chocolate kiss shaped heart and the diagnosis can be confirmed with an ultrasound demonstrating an echogenic rim of fluid around the heart. The differentiating factor that suggests a diagnosis of a simple effusion are stable vitals without a positive pulses paradoxus. The size of the pericardial effusion does not matter when making the diagnosis. Rather, the rate of accumulation is important as a slow rate can result in a large effusion that has slowly stretched out the pericardium with cardiac compensation, thus the stable vitals. Treatment involves the placement of a pericardial drain or window for drainage and to prevent accumulation. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice one, cardiac tamponade presents with a pericardial effusion as seen in this patient, muffled heart sounds, jugular venous distension, and unstable vitals. This patient likely has a malignant infusion which accumulated slowly. It stretched out the pericardium and is not causing tamponade physiology given his stable vitals. Choice two, heart failure exacerbation would present with jugular venous distension, pulmonary crackles or wheezes, and pitting lower extremity edema. If this was the etiology of this patient's shortness of breath, then pulmonary edema would be seen on the patient's chest radiograph. Choice four, pneumonia presents with a fever, increased breath sounds over the pneumonia, and a focal consolidation on chest radiograph. Treatment involves antibiotics and respiratory support if needed. Choice five, pulmonary embolism presents with chest pain, dyspnea, and hypoxia. This patient is at increased risk for a pulmonary embolism given his history of malignancy. However, there is concrete evidence of a pericardial effusion given the chest radiograph findings. Finally, a bullet summary. A pericardial effusion presents with an enlarged cardiac silhouette on chest radiograph and an echogenic rim of fluid on ultrasound. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 45-year-old male is brought into the emergency room by emergency medical services due to a stab wound in the chest. The wound is located superior and medial to the left nipple. Upon entry, the patient appears alert and is conversational, but soon becomes confused and loses consciousness. The patient's blood pressure is 80 over 40, pulse is 110 beats per minute, respirations are 26 breaths per minute, and temperature is 97.0 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.1 degrees Celsius. On exam, the patient has distended neck veins with distant heart sounds. What is the next best step to increase this patient's survival? And the answer choices are, choice one, intravenous fluids. Choice two, intravenous colloids. Choice three, heparin. Choice four, aspirin. Or choice five, pericardiocentesis. The best answer to this question is, choice five, pericardiocentesis. The patient presents with a stab wound to the chest with hypotension, distension of neck veins, and muffled heart sounds. This patient has cardiac tamponade and should be treated urgently with pericardiocentesis. Cardiac tamponade typically results from fluid accumulation in the pericardial sac. This restricts ventricular filling and leads to decreased preload and consequently decreased cardiac output. While trauma is a common cause, other causes include tuberculosis, malignancy, systemic lupus erythematosus, and pericarditis, which is typically viral. In acute settings, as little as 100 to 200 milliliters of fluid within the pericardial space can result in hemodynamic instability as the cardiovascular system has not had time to adapt. However, 
If the pericardial fluid is slow to accumulate, as many as a couple of liters of fluid can exist without hemodynamic instability. The study by Snyder et al. discusses acute pericarditis. They report that Beck's triad of hypotension, distant heart sounds, and distended neck veins should be looked for when trying to diagnose cardiac tamponade. They state that cardiac tamponade is present in 5 to 15% of patients with acute idiopathic pericarditis and 60% of those with neoplastic, tuberculous, or purulent pericarditis. They also state that aside from acute hemodynamic instability, pericardiocentesis may also be indicated for large, that is greater than 20 millimeter effusions or symptomatic effusions refractory to medical treatment, such as with diuretics. The study by Sant et al. discusses the diagnosis and management of cardiac tamponade. They state that the current tool of choice for diagnosis is the transthoracic or transesophageal echocardiogram due to its high sensitivity and specificity. They report that though echo-guided pericardiocentesis is the treatment of choice for tamponade, many times effusions will recur within 48 hours if left alone. For this reason, placing a pericardiac catheter for continuous drainage along with diuretics has been shown to treat up to 95% of the cases of pericardial effusions with low complication rates, which are around 4%. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choices 1 and 2. Though the patient's condition may be helped by intravenous solutions of fluids and colloids, the patient emergently needs pericardiocentesis to stabilize his hemodynamic status. Choices 3 and 4. Both aspirin and heparin will anticoagulate the patient. This would be contraindicated as it can lead to increased bleeding into the pericardial sac. That's all for this review about cardiac tamponade. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullets Step 2 and 3 podcast a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you considered leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullet Step 2 and 3 podcast.